The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, how was your holiday, dude? Uh, my holiday was good. Um, everyone made edible food, and no one started a fight. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a win. the American dream, right? Uh, it seems more and more that, yeah, just not having anything go wrong with inedibility or conflict uh, is it now counts. Yeah, that's a win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, how did you do? Uh, um, my apartment got hit uh, Wednesday morning early before. Uh, Thanksgiving and uh, two bikes were stolen. And so when the th- when the Thanksgiving mountain bike ride rolled around, I was unable to join it. Right. So uh, we're going to move on from that subject because trying to talk about it is. Um, yeah, we're going to move on from that subject. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Why don't we jump into your poll and have some fun? All right. Sure. Great. Um, So this week I'm thinking about the blurry line between the various categories of bike and how how uh, changing trail conditions trigger a switch for me from one bike to another. Mm. Uh So so, for example, uh, I've ridden all the single track within about five miles of my house. And given how close I live to the center of Boston, it's a surprisingly high number of trail miles, I should say. I, I can concur based on my experience. I am I am shocked by it and um, uh, pleasantly amazed. Yes, as am I. I mean, I, I have enough good trail near my house that sometimes when I go away and encounter other fun trails, I'm like, well, these are great. And it just actually reminds me of how, like, I'm grateful also to be able to come home and ride all these great things all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know where all the rocks and roots are on those trails, right? Because I've worked them so yeah. Long. Yeah. So you come around certain for, turns and there's a line you're going to take, period. Exactly. Yeah. You stay to the left of the route here or else you'll lose your back tire. Um, the right, the, the, the rock on the right actually has a graceful exit and you can go over it instead of around it. You know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I wrote sort of an artsy fartsy little piece last week on the site uh, about this called In the Leaves. But uh, uh What I'm thinking about today is in spring and summer, I would ride all of that single track on a gravel bike. Mm -hmm. No question. 
Mm-hmm. A drop bar bike ups the difficulty and challenge on on like super familiar trails in a way that makes those rides fun, even though I'm so familiar with the terrain, right? Mm-hmm. Now, though, the leaves are down. And so in the last couple of weeks, I moved from the gravel bike to the hardtail 29er. And once the snow falls and the ground freezes up, I'll just put studded tires on the 29er and that and I'll ride that until it's spring again when I go back to the gravel bike. The gravel bike at some point soon uh, becomes the road bike because a little more rubber and a little less pressure is a sort of insurance policy when the pavement starts to get iced and thawed (laughs) regularly, right? Yep. Yep. Um, When I think about bike categories, I don't normally consider the sort of seasonal aspects of my riding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like I do... um, I found myself planning for this uh, Wednesday ride I do with some friends, and it's a trail ride. Um, and a few weeks ago, I was like, am I, am I going to ride the mountain bike tomorrow while they're all on gravel bikes? And how is that, that going to go? But then I did it, and I had a really great time, and I had no trouble keeping up. In fact, a lot of the more technical bits, I was on the front, even with a crew of guys who were mostly stronger than I am. Hmm. So, you know, it's just a different way to think about the bike as a tool. And, and I know there's a lot of um, sort of agita about the various categories and what separates them and why does this one even exist. And this one with that tires is the same as that other one with the other tires. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think it's not really... It's a, a little bit like a few weeks back, I, my, my pick was the uh, hardtail 26-inch mountain bike because, <laughs> yes. because it's fun to ride on various stuff. So, like, you know, a gravel bike on single track is different than a mountain bike on single track. But then you add leaves and they sort of equalize and then you add ice and maybe some studs. And then, you know, maybe you would ride a gravel bike with studded tires and not a mountain bike with wider. T- you know what I mean? Yep. Does this, does your, does your area, do you have any sort of like seasonal changes like this? Not, not really in that way. Um, when it, when it gets to be winter time, um, once the monsoon season starts, uh, I get off the trails. Um, I'll even avoid an awful lot of the fire roads and other dirt roads around here because, uh, when it rains, you know, before there was climate change, I really don't know what, what Northern California was like. I've only been here since the climate has been changing. Um, Mm. and so what I can say is that once it starts raining, it really starts raining. And so the, the roads get, uh, the, you know, fire roads and other dirt roads and whatnot, they, and of course all the trails get inundated pretty quickly. You can end up with a goulash, uh, of inedible things in a real <laughs> hurry, you know, about 36 right. hours is all it takes. Um, what that means for me in terms of seasonal changes is that, um, I add fenders to one of my road bikes <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's kind of about it. Yeah. Um, I, we have a, we have a mud season similar to your monsoon season. There, there are probably yeah. six weeks in the spring where you, you, we don't ride trails. 
It's only six weeks. That's pretty dynamite. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And it depends. You know, the biggest factor in that um, uh, unexpectedly is the wind. Um, really? If we have a windy spring, the trails dry really quickly because we have a lot of pine. Our, our soil drainage is good. Oh, okay. So once it goes warm and everything gets soft, you stay off the trails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how fast it dries really depends on how windy that period of time is. If it's wow. very windy, you can gain, you know, a week or two. Uh, and if it's not... Uh, and also, if it's a rainy spring, in addition to just being the meltout, <laughs> right. you know, there, there are a bunch of factors. But I, I think it's probably six weeks that you're not on the trails. Mm. When I was in Northampton, I remember that period was eight to ten weeks. We didn't mm. have the conifers that you have. Um, I can't speak to uh, comparisons on wind. Um It's a hillier place in general, which could mean it's either more windy or less. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there would be that point where finally all the ice or almost all the ice has melted um, and you could get back out on the trails again, except you would sink six inches at some point and lose a shoe as you were getting off your bike and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> this is, of course, the birth of the Rasputitsa uh, race in uh, up in Burke, Vermont. Yeah. Uh, Rasputitsa being the Russian term for mud season, and that's like a a thirty five mile peanut butter race. It's, I mean, here's the thing: it takes an event like Rasputitsa to make me think about, ooh. Oh, that kind of mud riding and that kind of, cause I won't do it voluntarily. I have to right. put a number on and I do want to do Rasputitsa someday. I don't really know how I'll make myself, uh, sufficiently mentally and physically prepared physically. I mean, just hardened to the cold enough to really get out there. Yeah, it's a hard event. It's it's you know, you say it's 30. It's like somewhere between 30 and 35 miles. And you're like, well, that's not far. Like, I've got that. But, but if you average at a time five miles year, an hour. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You wait. And there's you, usually a section where you have to shoulder your bike and walk through snow to connect pieces of the course. So <laughs> you, you kind of look at it and you're like, how hard could it be? Um, and oh, then wait. you realize that you've been riding straight uphill through peanut butter mud for the last, I don't know, eight hours of your life. It's not eight <laughs> You know, it doesn't last that long, but it sure does. Feel, is, if you're looking for ways to slow down time, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, around here. Uh, yeah. Mostly I'm just putting on fenders for a while and then. You know, for all that we can deride social media for, one of its many uses truly is keeping an eye on a couple of my local riding groups and watching what they're saying about the trail conditions. Because there will be people who will make a judicious little venture out just to see what things are like, not do a full ride and turn around and come back and report on that. Uh, Of course, the other option is for me to simply go by Trailhouse, where so many riders begin and end their rides in Annadale. And if I see people who are 
uh, the color of dark chocolate head to toe, then I know it's not time to be out there yet. And I'll (laughs) mutter things about them and their lineage under my breath. Yeah, they shouldn't be out there either. Yeah, I've been I've been to a few organized events where. You know, I don't know. I get it. Like the organizer is like, well, this is our date and this is what we have to do. Yeah. And then you go out in the woods and you're like, this was wrong. (laughs) You know, I see those a little bit differently under. Can I just say kind of a circumstance, one circumstance or one situation? Mm. More and more, it seems like event promoters are when they do stuff that's off road, particularly stuff taking in single track. Or at least around here, more and more, it seems like one of the components of organizing the event is providing for trail maintenance after the fact, rehabilitation. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I I want to say it was Tom Stevens um, in the Spin Arts series of cyclocross races in New England. I want to say one year he got kind of a lawn and garden business as a sponsor. And they provided sod to replant certain sections of his courses. Um, And that seemed to me to be kind of next level genius. That that's very clever. I know, um, I know uh, some guys that run a cyclocross series in, in and around Seattle Mm-hmm. Um, Zach and Terry at MFG, and uh-huh. they they uh, tell a, a good story generally about you know the the not many everyone enjoys the race and everyone says oh you did a great job and the race went really well uh, and few of them realize that those guys are going to spend the entire next day with rakes and shovels and you know like putting back together the 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 course mm-hmm. putting it back trying to get it back to uh uh something approaching its natural state yeah yeah uh, i suppose we're getting a little far afield here but you know it would be uh, maybe we should do a poll at some point about all the things that some event promoters to do to provide a a, a great event but then immediately follow it up with uh rehabilitation uh and or preparation for that matter right yeah right um so yeah, I um I don't I don't I don't make quite the same switch as you do. That said, on the leaf score, um gravel rides around here now, now that all the leaves are 80% of the leaves are down, um yeah, that can make things really interesting, <laughs> you know. The the yeah. the rock disguise. Um Yeah. I, I liken it to shark fins in the water, you know, like you just see a little gray peeking out. And you're like, oh, well, there are occasions around here where all I see are the surface ripples. Like mm. the, the fin doesn't actually come up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was I was doing a ride in Jack London State Park uh, a few years back with some friends. And it was, you know, one of those. Uh, one of those early season rides where you're really trying to pile the miles on and you know you're going to get home just completely worked um, where like you're going to need as much of an overhaul as your bike. Mm. And there's this one descent uh, as you get closer to Jack London's home uh, there in Kenwood and the descent 
is really steep, uh, you know, a good 18%. And it was completely leaf covered, which is to say that you could only break so much without the bike <laughs> beginning to slide. Yeah. The, the, the bicycle equivalent of avalanche. Yeah. <laughs> You've broken free. Yeah. 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 Now you're just surfing the leaves. Great. Um, yeah. And... I didn't see, because I don't ride there that much, I didn't have it memorized. Like, you've got your local trails memorized. And so there was this little lump of leaves that I didn't appreciate for what it actually was, which is to say that was the dorsal fin right there. <laughs> right. Um, and there was a great white there. Yeah. Um, and I center-punched a rock the size of Perry roubaix pave. Yeah. Um, and it was sitting on top of the rest of the ground and it compressed my front tire, a 40 millimeter tire all the way to the rim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. And the resulting compression of my spine uh, was <laughs> painful enough that I saw a flash of light. I'm laughing at your pain. I feel terrible about it, but it's still amusing. I, I, I'm going to give you leave on this. You know, I, I think it's a moment that yeah. ought to be uh, laughed by anyone who didn't actually experience that. <laughs> well, you make a great point about breaking in the leaves. And this actually takes me back to my original thing about switching to the mountain bike. We went out one Wednesday, the group of us, and it was cold and we all had on, you know, the heaviest gloves we could wear and still shift. And <laughs> which is a funny, funny delineation. Yeah. 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 It's this weird uh, purgatorial place. Yes. And um, limbo. So and you know how the riding is here. It's like little <laughs> sharp ups and little sharp downs and you're on and it's twisty and you're on your brakes a lot. Yeah. And we would stop and. And everyone's complaint was that their hands were worked, hands and forearms, because you're on the brake so much. And I was like, I, maybe I wouldn't feel that if I were on the mountain bike. Like, that is a different braking. It's a different braking paradigm, a different whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the, the, the switch um, that took me to the other bike. And I rode the other bike, and I was like, oh, yeah, this was way better. I felt <laughs> way more in control of the bike. My hands were, you know either numb or worked. Um, <laughs> so those guys kept riding gravel bikes. I was like, all right, knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about that is how, you know, you already owned both those bikes. You own many bikes. Yeah. And you've been riding for a long time. Yeah. And you're experienced enough that some fool thought you qualified to be on a podcast. Y yep. And yet you can still go out and have a, uh, an experience that surprised you that much. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that lovely? It is lovely. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it cuts both ways because it's lovely. I love I mean, the bike is endlessly endless. Mm -hmm. And if I get if I get too good at any one thing, don't worry, there's a million other bikes and styles and whatever for me to be terrible at. So I love that. Um. But then there's also the 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 like a low level imposter complex where, you know, people come to me as the expert on bikes and they're like, oh, my back hurts when I do this on the bike. And what's the answer to the I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Go see a bike fitter go, or, you know, I don't know. Mess with it. That's what I would do. 
I would change it. I don't know, you know. Um, so, I don't know. We're all doing the best we can out there. Whether you uh, center punch a rock and end up on your face or, uh, <laughs> you know, you leaf surf down the descent uh, and just barely make the corner, which is one of my favorite moves. I, you know, and yes, I'm going to also say that um, anytime I'm in a two wheel drift on a bicycle and I remain upright, which yeah. actually is most of the time at this point. Um, yeah. There's little, I'm, I'm sure I've said this on the show before, but there's little that makes me feel more like a cycling God than, <laughs> than riding through a two wheel drift. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes me back to when I was like nine years old on my first BMX bike and I would, I would ride the sidewalk in front of our house. I would, you know, like I wasn't supposed to leave home. So I would ride like in front of the neighbor's house and I would get going as fast as I could. And then I would lay down like a side skid on the on the BMX. <laughs> yes. And then I would like get up and go to the other neighbor's house and work back. And they're just drift, like just skidding over and over again. And it's the same, you know, like I'm 50. But, you know, if I'm coming coming down a, a, a hot descent and I lock up the brakes and the leaves carry me uh, into the corner, it's it's just as good. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Whether your wheels are locked or not sliding. It, it I, well, I mean, you know, uh, was it whammo or Mattel or Milton Bradley who made the, uh, you know, the slip and slide? I mean, yeah. obviously sliding is something we really enjoy. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brainstem level joy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause that's the root of skiing. Yeah. Right. And uh, oh, I'll leave that one out. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it popped into my head. And then I just said, don't, no, don't go there. All right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Family program. Um, but yeah, there are lots of things where slippery is uh, really pretty terrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe on that note, we should move on. <laughs> yeah, let's let's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the original topic of this conversation went, but uh, we've left it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that means that we're going to take a break and be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com. Click on support TCI and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, time for your poll. I'm going to talk about fear this week. Actually, what I wrote uh, was I want to talk about fear this week. I, I don't really want to, but I'm, I'm going to because I don't have a lot of choices in front of me. So I'm one of those cyclists who has led a, shall we say, remarkably fear-free riding existence. I haven't had too many bad crashes and I've experienced very few, we'll call them altercations. 
with cars over the years. Um, Okay, I'm going to clarify some. I've had lots of interactions with cars. Just very few of them led to contact between the vehicle and me. Um, That did change uh, in terms of me adding one more to the tally. On the afternoon we recorded our last show, I went out for an afternoon road ride. Just a simple spin on the bike path. Time to think, burn a few calories. Not much more than that. I'm not going to say much about just what happened based on some advice from a friend who has a JD at the end of his name. What I will say is that I was hit from behind. Uh, I expect in the coming months, I'll be able to tell you the whole story. Um, Anyway, yeah, I was hit from behind. Uh, The shock of the situation amazes me. To clarify, I'm amazed at how shocked I was. <laughs> you were shocked by your shock? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my surprise was such that for a moment when it happened, my mind just went blank. All thought ceased. It was as if the engine of my brain just shut off or that my brain was freewheeling, coasting. I flat out didn't understand the world in that moment. And as someone who thinks he's pretty self-aware, that experience could not have been more unsettling. The next day, I needed to run a couple of errands, and I got on my cargo bike to head out. Um, I got to the store just fine. It was on my way home, actually, in the last few hundred yards, which is near where I was hit, uh, just before I got home, that I heard a car approaching me from behind and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I was in the bike lane, but once I heard that, I immediately swung to the right into the parking lane. Uh, and that car passed me with no ill effect because that's what most cars do. Right. <clears throat> so figured I'd give it a day or two. Uh, I gave it more than that. In fact, I didn't get on a bike again until Thanksgiving Day when I made a run to whole paycheck for a few last things for dinner with my boys who had not yet arrived at my place. Let's just say that by the time I got back home, I was a bundle of nerves. I rode three miles max, absolute max. I don't even think it was that much. So what I'm saying here is that this is in part a statement of empathy for those who have become afraid of riding on the road as way as well as a male culpa for not having had more compassion for the fears some people experience about riding on the road, especially in the wake of being hit by a car. I mean, I've ridden on the hoods of cars twice in my life, once from head on. Head on, wow. landed on the, yeah. on the hood of a car. I'm so glad that that's where I landed. Um, that was entirely luck and had nothing to do with skill. Um, but, you know, neither of those events, granted, they both happened, uh, I think, prior to the Clinton administration. Um, <laughs> you know, they didn't instill any lasting fear in me. I don't know if that was because of my youth, uh, my relative stupidity at the time, or just they weren't really that frightening as things go. Um, I'll also add that 
in the evening after I was hit, you know, the, 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 um, the day I was hit, I kept oscillating between angry and frightened slash sad. The thought that my boys could have lost their father right then was really pretty devastating. Sure. Um, that was something else I didn't expect was to find. I mean, absolutely. My very first thought once my brain switched on again was, oh, my God, my boys. That surprised me a little bit. I mean, I didn't realize that, you know, my my brain would leap from uh, you've just been hit by a car to, oh, my boy. Oh, my God. My boys could end up without a dad. Right. I would have thought, you know, like. How am I? How is my bike? I I would have thought that maybe those would be my first thoughts. Um, I can claim that I'm uh, selfish enough that I tend to come first in my thoughts. (laughs) Right. I think Um, humans are. Yeah. I mean, I find it a little unsettling. I think I'm supposed to be completely selfless and think about nothing but my sons. I'm not that good a guy, I don't think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes, I do hear the leaf flowers. I'll do my best to get them out of the mix. <laughs> Dear listeners, we postponed when we recorded today because of the noise of leaf flowers at my place. <laughs> and now they're at my house as they have been the last three days. I don't know how there's a leaf left in my neighborhood, if I'm honest. <laughs> I my theory is that all the leaf blowers, it, it's one company and all they do is blow them into the neighbor's yard. Yeah, they're just blowing them back and forth. Yeah, because that know, keeps to, them employed. If they actually picked yeah. all the leaves up, there wouldn't be any more work to do. It's insane. It's yeah. insane where I live. <laughs> and I um, understand it's I understand it's the fall. I get it. But <laughs> come on. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. Anyway. This is one of those circumstances that doesn't happen very often in the show where, you know, I don't really have any words of wisdom for anybody. Um, You know, I've got a perspective informed by 30 plus years as a cyclist. And all I have here is some empathy and compassion for all of our listeners out there who are, you know, truly afraid of being hit by cars. Um, I mean, I I have been down this road myself. Um, I got first time I got hit by a car. I spent a year. The weird thing is I didn't recognize what you've done is good because you've recognized that you feel fear. Mm -hmm. That's great, because what I was was angry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for like a year after I got hit, I was putting myself into conflicts with cyclists like I was just spoiling for a fight. Oh, uh-huh. And I was riding around angry all the time. And I realized, you know, at the end of the year, like, that's not angry. Like, those people are just, dr- you know, they're just going to work. <laughs> you know, like, they're imperfect, like you are. Uh, but they're not, they, they're not committing any crimes for you to be, they're not committing any offenses. You're just actually afraid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think once I, once I 
realized I was afraid, I was like, well, what can I change so that I'm not afraid? Mm-hmm. Um, and that did, you know, sort of fundamentally change the way I ride and where I ride and how I do it and, and, and those sorts of things. But I think recognizing up front that you're afraid is uh, admitting, admitting you have a problem is the first step, you know, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a, uh, a better a, vehicle. That's a pretty good borrowing of a turn of phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think once you realize, oh, you're afraid, well, then, you know, you can begin to process that fear. You know, you can examine it. Is it rational? Um, And that will help you back away from it slowly. I don't think there's a switch you flip and just don't care anymore. No, no, that's not a thing. Uh, You know, the, the great irony of my situation, and this is true, truly irony, is that what I would like to do most uh, currently is go out and ride mountain bikes on trails. Right. Uh, my back isn't entirely happy for certain aforementioned reasons. And so yeah. sitting up with a flat bar would be on the handy side of handy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there are no mountain bikes at my place anymore. Right. Um, I, it's a great time for a loner. Yeah, I, I, I've gotten a couple of offers, and I need to respond to those. I have trouble accepting. I'm I'm struggling with the idea of borrowing a mountain bike until I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be able to replace it. Sure. Um, and I have yet to actually lock horns with the insurance company just yet. Ah. Well, maybe it's a maybe this is an opportunity to um, avail yourself of several loners, thus giving yourself experience on more different bikes and not uh, over taxing the kindness of the folks who are being kind to you. Yeah, I I mean, my default would just be to go to review bikes, except a lot of folks aren't really sending out review bikes right now. (laughs) <laughs> right. They don't have review bikes to send out. Right. Because they sold everything yeah. that wasn't nailed down. And who right. can blame them? Right. Uh, I, I did have this instinctive sense that road rides were going to be um, uh, not really the greatest thing for me. Um, you know, the, the whole drop bar uh, from from issues with my, my back and neck um, to just being in that position and the slight reduction in rear looking visibility that you would improve upon with a flat bar or some Mm. sort of commuter type bar. So hence me thinking, well, I can do little runs on my cargo bike because I'm sitting up and it's easy to look around and the bike's really stable. So, I mean, I can just about turn around, look backward and take a picture when I'm on the spicy curry. Hmm maybe it is better than being on a road bike or a gravel bike right now, but even that wasn't much fun. Yeah. Uh, so I, maybe I'm doing a lot of hiking this month. (laughs) Time heals many wounds. Mm. Yeah. Not all of them in my experience, but many of them. So, you know, just go easy on yourself. I, I, I am going to try to be gentle. That was one of the greatest lessons of all the personal work I've done. All right. Well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. What do you have? 
So this week I'm going to pick Mountain Flyer Magazine. Mm. And I know, I know, they are on some level competitors of ours for the eyeballs of the cycling inflamed. <laughs> but man, is that a nice magazine. Uh, to me, it's what a bike magazine should be. Mm-hmm. And I'm picking it this week because it's a rare bird in a pretty homogenous flock these days. Yeah, that that's a, I think that's a fair statement. Yep. It's, it's, it's worth saying out loud that one of TCI's co-founders, Mike Cushenberry, is now editor-in-chief of Mountain Flyer. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain bro hug element to me highlighting the magazine this week. Bring it in, bring um, it in. Yeah, bring it in. <laughs> Uh, but Steve and I did an episode of Revolting yesterday on nostalgia, and it got me thinking about my nostalgia for beautiful cycling-related print media. Mm-hmm. And then I got up this morning and saw the new episode of Mountain Flyer on my uh, on my kitchen counter, and I was like, "Oh yeah, Mountain Flyer scratches that itch in a nice way." <laughs> it it does. It's a pretty magazine. Um, it, you know the the art direction is nice. Uh, yeah, the stories are cool. And thanks to the talents of, of uh, photographers like Devin Ballet, who uh, uh, I worked with uh, on a feature for uh, Dirt Rag back when Kush was there. Um, he's a great shooter. They hire a lot of great shooters. And so, yeah, the look of that magazine is um, lush. Yeah. It's good. And it's, you know what I appreciate about it also? It's a quarterly. Yeah. So yes. you're not, you're not yes. piling it up next to the hopper, feeling guilty that you didn't read the last one uh, completely before the next one comes. You mean like my subscription to Consumer Reports that my mom buys me every year? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You, 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 do you have it? You're not up to date on the, the latest and greatest fax machines. I feel like that's what consumer reports is about now, I, but I could be wrong. I, I haven't opened one of the issues beyond quickly flipping through them at the mailbox. And I couldn't tell you how many months it's mm. yeah. Bad Patrick. <laughs> Mountain flyer is only 20 bucks for a year. You know, and that's the other thing. It's a relatively short print run. And for them to manage uh, to make a subscription that affordable um, and still produce a magazine that pretty, they're they're dancing on a tightrope. They're doing they're doing a great job. That's a cheap subscription. That's a that's some good, cheap fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listen, if you want to preserve print media on some level and you love mountain bikes and glossy pictures of riders doing amazing stuff in amazing places, consider subscribing. I mean, assuming you've already subscribed to TCI, do that first <laughs> because Patrick and I need to eat food and keep our families sheltered. But once once you've got your TCI subscription, I don't know, consider uh, consider Mountain Flyer. There's a good return yeah. on your investment. Well done. Yes. What do you got for us? Well, <laughs> my pick this week is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, it's the Cyclic Fly 6 combination blinking light and camera. <laughs> I've got... <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine why I picked this? Um, so I've got the first gen version, and it is a pretty terrific little device. 
they are now up to Gen 3, and they've made some notable improvements from the version that I have. Like, it now loops the video, and uh, if you fall, it will lock uh, a stretch of video for several seconds uh, on either side of your crash or, or impact or altercation, whatever it is that happens. Um, so... I don't know that I'd actually want to see any video of what uh, transpired um, 10 days or so ago, but um, it, it's an option with this device. Right. The thing recharges quickly, just two hours uh, for a full recharge, and it can record for up to five hours if you don't run the light or four hours with the light, um, which I have calculated would cover the entirety of most of my mountain bike rides and road rides currently. Um, the light does have several different blinking modes, just depending on what sort of alert you want to put out to those behind you. Mm -hmm. It also has a better mountain mounting bracket than the rubber bands that mine uh, had uh, have. Uh, and they also have created an app that makes controlling the thing just that much easier. Um, it's $229, which I think is a pretty reasonable buy for what you get. Um, but unfortunately, as with so many things in the cycling world, it is out of stock currently. You can go to the site and there's a form where you can leave your name and email address to be informed when they're back in stock, though, which is not a bad move. <clears throat> sure. Uh, yeah. So we will have a link, of course, in our show notes to Cyclic. Um, yeah. Uh, so in addition to the blinky that I've got on the back of my bike, I'm going to start adding that back in. <sighs> yeah. You want to be sure you've got insurance coverage next time you go out for a spin. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I may want airbags. Um, <laughs> you know, who knows? Uh, well, uh, not to end on a downer note, that is a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Um, what sort of good fun things do you have coming up? I have no clue. I, this is a period, the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is, I, I feel like, um, you know, when you fall off your surfboard, uh, there's this thing that transpires next called ragdolling. I've heard of that. It's I have often fallen off of a surfboard. So, oh, okay. Well, when you when you do, well, I I don't either, but I'm familiar with this term, and it's it's basically that um, the the wave at that point takes over and has its way with you. Yes. Yes. And your your best bet is not to fight it and just let it do what it's going to do mm -hmm. until it's done. And mm -hmm. I feel like the period between Thanksgiving and Christmas is that for me. Uh, Ragdolling ragdolling you know like i know this friday i have to go to my wife's company christmas party i'll be ragdolling really hard there um <laughs> there's also are you gonna little... talk to her boss again i know hopefully this time i talk to her boss i won't uh uh call put in your question. foot in your mouth yeah i won't put him down um <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know just like the rules for christmas uh I mean, for Thanksgiving, edible food and no conflicts. That's what I'm going for between now and uh, Christmas. So that's what it looks like for me. And, you know, I'm, I'll be riding my bike uh, in whatever fashion I'm able between now and then. What, yeah. what do you got coming up? Uh, well, um, as I've mentioned before, 
I've been putting in some really uh, hard miles on a novel that I'm working on. And right now, when I look at the bike and I look at my computer, um, given the events of the last couple of weeks, the computer has been winning a little more than usual. Mm. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do some hiking this weekend. That's yeah. really what I think I'm going to do. The woods yeah. will fix what ails you. That's my experience. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, it has traditionally. So, um, Alrighty. Well, before we go, I'm going to put in a plug for Revolting, the jo- uh, the podcast that you uh, are producing along with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. Um, it's not a cycling post in the tr- <laughs> toy boat. It's not a cycling. <laughs> it's not a cycling podcast. We do yeah. talk about bikes. We do talk about bikes and people who ride them. That does come up, but all kinds of things come up. Yeah. And also I can say that we have actually finally launched the crash. Yeah. The first two episodes uh, are up, which is our introductory episode. And then our first actual interview, which is with frame builder, Richard Sachs. And his story uh, could not have been more surprising or, or more perfectly suited to what I want, wanted to do uh, with the podcast. As we say, it's about the getting up, not the falling down. Another thing um, worth saying is that it's not uh, the 45 minute to an hour format (laughs) that our other podcasts are. It's a quick hit. Yes. Under 20 minutes. Yeah. Yes. That's one dog walk. (laughs) Okay. Been a while since I walked a dog. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, keep those questions coming. You all send us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.